And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Time to welcome to the studio once again Luke Smith from Envision Financial Services. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are we? Look, it's Friday, and I'm so pleased that Friday has finally arrived. I woke up yesterday thinking today should be Friday, and uh, it wasn't, which was most disappointing. <laughs> but here we are. Today is actually Friday. I think I like most Friday. people. I think most people are in that boat. Friday is my favourite day of the week. It has all of the thrill of anticipation, none of the disappointment of reality. It's actually a lot better than Sunday because it, you've got something to look forward to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> By the time you're halfway through Sunday, you're thinking, oh, dear, the weekend's running out really quick. <laughs> exactly right. You blink and it's over. You, you look forward to it for five days. Yeah, exactly right. Well, today we've got to correct some more misconceptions, continuing mm. our theme in recent yep. weeks of uh, correcting misconceptions that people have about various things relating to their superannuation or their investments that uh, often people think they know all the answers, but sometimes they've been led up a garden path, haven't they? Yeah, look, very much. And, you know, as we've sort of continued this theme, it's about trying to just dispel some myths and more importantly, make people realise that assumptions can be very expensive and very dangerous. Um, and today is another one that, that is another batch of real life examples that I see more often than not is... You know what they say about assumptions, don't you? Hit me with it. Well, when you assume something, you make an ass out of you and me. Well, You've seen that before? I have, yes. Yes. <laughs> I have. Um, now, when I say ass on the radio, I'm not referring to anybody's backside. I'm talking to a type of donkey. Correct. Exactly, yes, because exactly. I'm not an American. No, correct. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry, moving I've, on. I've distracted you there. <laughs> Uh, some of the misconceptions that uh, that we're talking about today, though, relate to what happens when you have your superannuation in place, but unfortunately, you pass away. That's right. So today, we're going to touch on what happens when I die. I, I hear some weird and wonderful things about that, and also binding nominations and some assumptions around those. So if we start with, well, what's a binding nomination? A binding nomination is documenting to the trustee of the fund your wishes in the event of your death. And that's really our first cab out of the rank. I get this question or this statement a lot. When I die, it's okay, my, my will will sort out my super. No, it won't. Let's get that one really clear out of the gates. Your will has no control over your accumulated super or pension accounts. So saying that you're gonna use a will to control the distribution of your assets in super is a bit like peeling open a banana and saying there's going to be an apple inside. Okay? It'd be great if it happened, <laughs> but it's not going to happen anytime soon. So we can dispel that one right out of the gates. Yep. And that is the reason that people consider using a binding nomination. A really easy way of thinking about it is that a binding nomination is like a little mini will for your super. It says, hey, in the event that I die, I would really like it to get paid to this individual or this entity, please. Yes. Now, there are two types of nominations. There is a binding nomination and there is a non-binding nomination. And another misconception or comment that people use when they come into my office is, oh, it's okay, they're pretty much the same, aren't they? No, they're really not the same because a binding nomination removes the discretion of your super fund trustee to pay the money to a third party. So if I have a binding nomination to my wife and I die, the super fund is obligated to pay it straight to her. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. Yep. Now a, a non-binding nomination says, hey, 
it'd be nice if you paid it there, but you know what? I'll just, I'll leave it up to you. So if that's challenged or there's anything that happens from a legal standpoint, you're opening up the potential of having less control over achieving the outcome when you want certainty at specific times in your life. So binding and non-binding, very different. Not same, same, but different. Um, and understand what you have in your fund. Check. Another misconception I get is, well, I did that years ago. They never lapse, right? No. Again, things have evolved. Back in the day, they lapsed every three years and you needed to redo your nomination. To do a nomination, you get a binding nomination form from your super fund provider. You select where you want to make a binding nomination, spouse, financial dependent, children, um, or your estate. And then you can work on a percentage basis as to where things are broken up. You sign it, and then two witnesses over the age of 18, not related to the nomination, sign that document and it gets submitted to your fund. Now, some have moved online, so check with your provider because a blanket statement like you must do this is, is getting harder to make because things are evolving in the, in the, in the tech space. But I, I stress with people, check and see what you have because if you've recently got divorced and you haven't changed your binding nomination and you get hit by a bus and your ex wasn't driving that bus, there's a good chance that a new partner, children or someone else that you want to receive that money could be paid straight to them because you haven't updated your paperwork. Mm -hmm. So check your paperwork, make sure it's legitimate, get the details right because this is one of the few times where you can't be just amending forms and scribbling on stuff and, and use it to the best of your advantage. Yeah, now during that discussion, you mentioned a few different options that you might name as mm. your nomination, your spouse, your children, for example, but one of them was your estate. Correct. Now, if you nominate your estate to be the beneficiary of your superannuation money, that then brings it back under the control of the will where it wouldn't normally be. Spot on. Okay. And the next line out of my mouth would be, this is why you need family law advice in this space. A big misconception that, that I find more often than not, people go, oh, it's a will, I'll just get one from the post office. Really? All of the assets you have on this earth, you're going to leave to a pre-filled document from a post office? It's also very important to make sure that your binding nomination does not conflict or limit a really well-written will. Because a will might say one thing, but if you don't get the money in there, it's pretty much like having the keys to a Ferrari but you can't find the Ferrari. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought you were going to say you got the keys to the Ferrari, but you've lost the key to the garage. Well, that too. That's another great example. So, again, get some family law advice. It's the best money you will spend. Mm. It may or may not be cheap depending on where you do it, but I think from a peace of mind perspective and when you consider the magnitude of what you're trying to administer, I, I always say to people – if you can consider using a binding nomination, great, but then run that past your family yeah. lawyer to make sure that you're not conflicting other strategies because they need to align with each other. The other thing about naming your estate as your nomination for receiving the superannuation money is that a will can always be challenged. Mm -hmm. So that means even though it's a binding nomination as far as getting the money into your estate – the, from there, it's still open to being challenged. Exactly. And this is where we need to look at the outcome we're trying to achieve and use the vehicles that are available to us. If you were going to put money into uh, 
an estate that could be challenged with, say, a blended family or a separation or something of that nature, you may, with good legal advice, say, well, I'll make a binding nomination to my spouse. It never makes the estate. It gets paid. There's no delay in paperwork. And there's no challenge. And there's no challenge. Yep. So, again, this is where I can't stress enough family law advice around this area is, I think, hugely underutilised by the retail consumer because they don't understand the severity or the outcome of their decisions and the potential tax implications. So another one that I hear all the time is, well, when I die, it gets paid to my kids, there's no tax. Well, the answer is it depends. And it depends on the taxable and tax-free components of the deceased's super. Mm -hmm. So for all the mums and dads out there, if you've been adding to superannuation over your working life like most people have, you will have a very high percentage of what's called taxable component. And what that means is the money's come from salary sacrifice, from your employer, and from earnings over your working life. Now, if that taxable portion of your super account is paid to a non-dependent child, that child will incur 17% tax. If you've made a tax-free contribution to your fund, let's say you sold a house, downsized and put money in, if it goes in as a tax-free component, it comes out as a tax-free component to adult children and tax can be avoided. So it's very important that you do not assume, oh, there's no death tax in Australia. Well, legally there may not be, but you can call it Whatever you yeah, want for to call pract it. practical purposes, that's what it amounts to. Exactly. Yeah. So, again, don't assume, oh, well, it's tax-free to me because I'm over 60. It's tax-free to everyone. No. It depends on the tax status of the person that receives the money. Paid to dependent children, tax-free. Paid to a spouse, tax-free. Paid to adult children, taxable at 17% on the taxable component. And if you want to get the component mix, you can call up your fund and say, what is my taxable component? What is my tax-free component? It is all done on a percentage basis and it's treated due to the way the money has been added to the fund. So don't assume that just because you're over 60, everything comes out tax-free because it doesn't. And I've seen it happen because it was too late or, or we couldn't do anything in time to fix it. And it is very fixable in a lot of situations you can mitigate a lot of the tax implications for adult children. And I haven't yet worked with a parent that says, oh, no, I'd love my kids to pay tax for no reason. So be proactive. You can do something about it. There are strategies that we've spoken about in the past. Um, and, and be aware that you know it's, a, it's probably the largest tax impost outside of your wages that you could incur over your working life. Now, a few minutes ago, you listed people that you might name as your binding nomination, including your spouse, your children, somebody who's financially dependent, or your own estate. Yep. Can anybody else be nominated? No. Not Why under, not? Not under a binding <laughs> nomination. You can nominate other people under a non-binding nomination, mm -hmm. but they are the only ones that are allowed to be binding under the rules as, as I understand them to be. Okay. Um, because really, you're going to have it go one of two ways. So you can't just name your best friend? No, and not, not be binding, no. No, okay. No. In that situation, you'd go binding to the estate and in your will you say, hey, my best friend gets X. Yes. So, again, these work in unison with each other. 
It's not that one trumps the other. It's really a case of bringing together two sides of the circle to, to, to make sure that you get the outcome that you're after. Okay. So what else have we got here? Uh, we have uh, sometimes people are a bit confused about this question of the binding nomination lapsing every three years. You said mm. that used to be the case, but apparently it's, it's been changed. So you can have a non-lapsing nomination now, but again, check with your relevant provider. A lot of self-managed super funds, non-lapsing. A lot of personal super funds, non-lapsing. Uh, check with industry funds. They can and cannot provide that. So again, some providers will make you redo it every three years. A lot have introduced this non-lapsing concept so that you make it once and unless you change it, it will stay as is. And that's mm -hmm. where I say, if you've got divorce, separated or anything of that nature, check because the last thing you want to happen is a loss of control because, oh, I forgot to fill that out when I did a new will. Yeah. And I see that one a lot. Oh, I got divorced. Yeah, I've done my new will. Updated your binding nomination? Oh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, okay, leave that one with me. I hear that one all the time. Yeah. So, again, just think holistically about your estate planning and, again, get some really good advice on, on this topic. And just on the topic of wills, I, I can't tell you just how surprised and shocked and amazed I was when I originally learned that when you get married, it makes your existing will null and void. Mm. But when you get divorced, it does not. Correct. I mean, and this is, how does that make any sense? Well, it's <laughs> depending on how your divorce lawyer won't, you may have nothing to split up anyway. So it <laughs> really depends, again, on a situation-by-situation situation basis. So when you do get divorced, you really do need to actually make sure you draw up a new will, otherwise the mm. old one still stands. And the other one you should also amend as well is, uh, I find people forget, the enduring power of attorney. Oh, yeah. So you've given permission for your now ex- access to your bank accounts that you probably don't want now. So I'd look to get some advice again and potentially revoke that and give someone else that power because it's really important that we keep in mind while we're on the topic of, of, of nominations and super. Super is personally owned. So being married gives you no right to action anything in someone else's super fund when you consider the rules and, and the, the needs of the trustee. They're going to ask you for an enduring power of attorney to be able to fill out a withdrawal form. Yeah. So an enduring power of attorney is one that I find. I've updated the wheel. What about that enduring power of attorney? Oh, yes, okay. Yep. Well picked up, play on, and I'll go and get some advice and change that. So, you know, make sure that we give these things working in unison and you can get the best outcome possible. 10 to 5 now on 2CC. Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio today. We're correcting some misconceptions about binding nominations in uh, your super fund. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio today. We're talking about some of the misconceptions people might have about binding nominations in your superannuation. So, Luke, what are the, what are the key things that people need to remember? Well, I think the first thing is consider your personal situation. The fact that they are available and they are very useful for clarity, with, with legal advice and your particular situation, it may be best to not have one. And again, we're just saying here, be aware of what they are and what they're used for. We're not saying you must use them. And in some situations, it may be better to not have one because of the things that your family lawyer have considered your outcomes and your situation. Um, Understand that binding and non-binding are very different and they have different powers. You must have two witnesses. In most situations, two witnesses sign your binding nomination to make it uh, valid with the, the, the fund provider. So check that. 
you, they have to be over the age of 18 to be a witness. Don't assume that because you're over 60, your super's paid out on a tax-free basis to non-dependent children. So that, that's a real frustration because people aren't aware of the taxable and tax-free mix of their underlying super. And I get a lot, well, I'm over 60, it's tax-free. Why do you keep saying it's taxable? Because there's a difference between money coming to you as the member and money going to the estate and ultimately to non-dependent children if that's the case. So be aware of that. There are things you can do about it. If you're not sure, give us a ring. Um, don't assume that all super funds offer the same things. Check with your fund and see what's available. It is a very standard thing, but again, I'm saying don't just assume. Um, make sure that you update nominations post a separation or a divorce um, so there's no frustration should you predecease other loved ones. Um, and make sure that you have your estate planning documentation align with a binding nomination if you have one because as we said before the ad break, your will has no power over your super. And far too often someone comes in and goes, oh, it's okay, in my will it says this. And I say, well, that's nice. What does that have to do with your super fund? And people aren't aware of that. So just keep in mind, your will has no control over your super. You can, however, get your benefits in under the will umbrella to have things dispersed in your will by having a binding nomination to your estate. And again, get some good family law advice so that you have everything moving in the right direction because you could inadvertently pay money out of a super fund, it not make the estate, and then what you actually wanted to achieve with the use of testamentary trust and other vehicles for the next generation could be significantly diluted, um, which is, is frustrating for all parties involved after a horrible event like the passing of a loved one. So just try and limit your assumptions. And if you do have a few or someone says something that can or can't be done, do a little bit of research, a little bit of Google, find out what the facts are because assumptions that we said at the start of the show, assumptions can be very dangerous and very, very expensive. Indeed they can. And uh, make sure your binding nomination has not lapsed because uh, they could lapse every three years, although these days there are the non-lapsing ones available as Correct. well. Correct, exactly so right. just make a few inquiries. And, and the other quick one there is, if you roll over your benefits to another fund, make sure you do a new nomination to the fund that receives your money yeah. because it is a new account and you'll need to do one either once it's opened or at the time you open it. And you can have two, one in each fund, in, in any structure that you use. So just keep that in mind. Good to know. So, Luke, where can listeners get more information? Yeah, office number 62604749. If you're not sure, if you want to talk about that taxable component we spoke about, give us a ring, come in, we can sort that out. We've got envisionfinancial.com.au on the internet. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stacker, Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. We've got Envision Financial Canberra on YouTube. You can subscribe to that and get all the shows. We've got shorts. We've got Strategy Stacker handle on the Tiki Talker. And all of these types of considerations and facts are in Smart Money Strategy, your ultimate guide to financial planning in the estate planning chapters. Fantastic. Available in all good bookstores and online. Correct. Luke Smith from Envision Financial. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming See in. See you next week.